Welcome to Jewish History with Rabbi David Katz, connecting the human side to Jewish history. For sponsorship opportunities or to support this podcast, please visit our donate page at www.support.rabbidavidkatz.com. Hi, it's uh, let me see now. It's Tuesday, I guess. It's round two. Let me see if I can do the parsha at a class. With the ladies this morning. Um, today's so I want to do parsha's Pinchas. Today's uh, podcast being sponsored uh, by Mayor Newberger, by a good friend Mayor Newberger, one of the uh, zany, uh, what is he called, eccentrics, Carusas of ours, and um, I'm sure it's in memory of Rosh Hashiva, that'd be his great uncle, uh, Rabbi Ruderman, my Rosh Hashiva, from, which was only a few days ago. Uh, and um, anyway, let's get right to it. Uh, the look at Parsha's Hey, Pinchas, when we live in a zealous age, do we not? Everybody wants to be zealous. The question about what Pinchas does is uh, quite a parasha because um, the famous question is like this. Is Pinchas typical, atypical? Is it a role model or is it not? Um, I think I mentioned before, you look at Nachshoni, he's a very nicey, nice guy. So he brings all those who try to limit it. In general, the Chazal were lawyers, were jurists. And uh, jurists always feel uncomfortable with Kanaim Pogimba, with, with uh, a lawyer taking your own hands, right? It's the nature of a judicial society, and all the Chazal were jurists, that you want to follow procedure. You know, that's a sign of an advanced and mature uh, legal system, I believe. And here's a guy just uh, took the law in his own hands, and it turns out he was right, because Hashem says, he knows in Lebrizi Shalom. Not only that, <clears throat> it's very interesting to me <clears throat> that... Um, What's their language? Again, What say? It's a good thing Pinchas stepped up and did zealotry downstairs, because I was about to do zealotry upstairs, and then that would wipe out the Jewish people. The word mekaneh so you worry about him being a, a Kanoi. I, God, am the ultimate Kanoi. And this is the strange part. I was about to exterminate the entire Jewish people because of the sin of Ben Osmov. That's just very interesting to me. I mean, is that the worst sin? Um, now, I understand you could say they led everybody to Balpur. But uh, it doesn't seem that way. It seems the problem was to add some fact of Ben Osmov. Uh, I mean, that's it, you know, that that's what it seems. Uh, as we know, Pinchas stepped forward and stopped in the middle. That's the whole point. But what was happening? Velochilis, he's been a mechalez to exterminate. That's a strong language. It doesn't seem velocharakti, velochimadati, or something like that. Velochilis, he's been a Israel, the You see, God gets really ticked off. I mean, really ticked off by Benos Mo situations. By carrying all the shiksa. That's uh, very, just very interesting. Because that's a... Benos Mov is a constant. You know, it's today like it always was. Any boy and any girl, if he's normal and she's normal, if he's heterosexual, she's heterosexual, I don't know if you're allowed to say that nowadays, then uh, 
the chemistry is what it is. Which is why the firm world tries its best to be puritanical, uh, Victorian, you know, uh, you can criticize this, you can criticize that, but the alternative is a bummer. Uh, because the alternative is what it is. Uh, you end up with the Benosimov. And uh, it's normal. It's normal. You have to understand how to read the stories of the Bible, in my opinion, as I always say. The story of Joseph tells you, Joseph and Aishas Potiphar, that if not for divine intervention, he would have done it. I think the Rambam, if I'm not mistaken, uses the Joseph story, I think in the Mishnah Torah even, <laughs> uses the Joseph story to prove about Hashkacha Pratis that only certain people get Hashkacha Pratis. But Yosef would be one of them. And Hashkacha Pratis means like this. Yosef met Potiphar's wife. Granted, she came over to him. Okay, I get that. But nevertheless, he was quote-unquote a normal guy. And therefore, he was going to give in. And uh, God intervened. And this damlo demus yuk That's, I believe, how the Ram understands it. Which means... How did that thought come into his mind? That he saw his father. So you could read it. It's possible to read that. He just had attack of conscience. No, you could read that. But I, I think the other way of reading it is, Hashem said like this, I don't want Yosef to mess up. I have plans for him. And therefore, I'm going to throw into his mind a picture of his father and mess up the whole situation and save him from committing this act. So Shmami Nob that if you or I, who are not on the level of that kind of Ashkacha Pratis, even if you hold like Baal you ain't like Yosef at Sadiq. So, uh, you meet Aishas Potiphar, you're going to do it. And that's what happened with uh, the, the Benos Moab. According to the famous uh, Medrash, the Chazal, you know, uh, Bilam said, Elohim Sony Zimo, that God hates Zimo. Don't say God hates Avodah it says God hates Zemo. Zemo would be the sexuality involved, right? The, uh, the the promiscuity. And therefore, Bilaam very cleverly and very wisely said, you want to take the Jews down, you can get them that way. So in other words, what it means is, as I understand it, there are different ways of um, bringing down the Jews. Wiping them out. Chilis is B'nai Israel. Uh, one way is physical, like Hitler. That is definitely one way, no question about it. <laughs> Unfortunately, now we're into three weeks, Tisha B'Av and all the rest of it. We don't need too many uh, examples of that. By the way, I got to tell you that. Somebody told me this morning, I think it was S.D. Rosberg, <laughs> listen to this. The 4th of July, when the, uh, 1776, the United States of America, this is cute. When they had the uh, signing of the Declaration of Independence, it was Shavasar Batamas. Of 1776. Now, all you rabbis out there, or rabbi wannabes, there's your speech for this coming Shabbos. <laughs> right? That Shavasa Thomas was the 4th of July. Now, figure out what to do with that. But to return to our scheduled uh, program, uh, that's just cute. She looked it up in the heap cow, you know. Um, to return to our scheduled program, you see that um, one way is to kill him physically. Uh, another way, this is a separate way, is to bring them to worship idols, right? To go for other gods. And there's no question that that's been pretty effective in Jewish history. It's called the Bible, the Old Testament. Uh, you know, the, we find the B'nai Israel doing it all the time. <clears throat> so that's a different way. You you, you um, seduce them, can I use that word? Seduce them with other beliefs and ideologies. Okay? 
uh, it's interesting that in various times in Jewish history, um, other ideologies have exercised a magnetism, a draw on the Jews, and at other times not. For example, it's clear in the time of the Bayes Rishon that Avodah Zorah was very attractive. It just attracted a lot of people. It's equally true that in Bayesheni and afterwards, this was not the case. Gemara says they were involved against Avodah Zorah. Call whatever you want. But we don't really have, from historical sources, that there's any kind of attraction among Jews, young Jews, for the Greek and, and Roman pagan religions. Just one there. Similarly, when you go to the Middle Ages, Derek Klaw, it's very interesting that the Jews lived in Islam and in Christendom. These are two very powerful and large cultures. Very, um, uh, uh, what's the right word, radioactive. Particularly in the Middle Ages, which is the age of faith. There was no pull to Jews. We don't find young Jews, boys or girls, saying, gee, I'm attracted by the teachings of Christianity, and uh, I want to chase after it. And then the Jewish community would have to fight against it. No, that's not what the problem was. And same thing in Islam. Islam is so powerful. I think you know from the news, you know, for following, they're a very strong culture, very powerful one. It's not like the Jews were attracted to that. I'm not talking about the times of persecution when they forced people, you know. I'm talking about, in and of itself, it wasn't a problem in the Jewish community. Oh, my kids want to go off to there and become Christians. Even today, we have problems in American Jewry, from and not from. It's not really the case that it's a powerful attraction on the part of this religion and that religion to young Jews today. Now, let me contrast that. Modernity has exercised such an attraction. So the last 250 years or so, ever since you have an attraction of something which is not religious exactly, but it's nevertheless a powerful movement, as we know, I'm sorry to say, Rove Minion, Rove Minion and Claudius Yisrael have left and stay left out of the Jewish religion because they're attracted to one aspect or another of modernity. So that is another way of taking down the Jews. A third way, so one is physical, and one is, shall I say, ideological perhaps, okay? Uh, the attraction of secularism, secular thinking, um, you know, uh, uh, disbelief in the biblical account, that is an attractive uh, kind of business, and uh, is a challenge today. So anyone who senses kids uh, to regular college, it's one of the things you have to deal with, okay? And then there's a third one that I can think of, which has nothing to do with number one necessarily, with a Hitler approach, and it's nothing to do with number two necessarily, which is an ideological or philosophical or something like that approach, Ashkafa. And the third one is boys and girls, sexual is normal, get it? You take a Jewish kid, let's say it's a guy, throw him at all the girls, or you take a Jewish girl and you throw them in a situation with all the guys. It's got nothing to do with Hitlerism. It's got nothing to do with secular, uh, you know, hashkafas or things like that. It's going to happen that A is attracted to B and B is attracted to A because that's the way of the world. Okay? That's the way of the world. And uh, what are you going to do about it? Now, God knows this, <laughs> like I do. And therefore, he's saying here, if you know how to read the Parsha correctly, in my opinion... That uh, what is it called? Velochi Lisi I was about to exterminate the Jewish people. I bet you the Jews themselves. I'm just guessing. Must have been um, surprised or shocked or it's just interesting. 
They said, I guess, he, we were about to get all wiped out? I mean, if Pinchas hadn't killed Zimri, we were about to get all wiped out? I mean, maybe we'd get a little bit of a rap on the knuckles. Look, we were not wiped out for the golden calf. We were not wiped out for the maraglip. We were not wiped out for, for complaining about the food in the desert and all that kind of junk. This is interesting, right? Um, we were going to get wiped out after 40 years wandering in the desert, and the older generation just died out, and the new generation is brand new, and we're about to engage in a war of conquest uh, in Canaan, because as you know, the whole story takes place shortly before Sichon and Og, and shortly before the death of Moshe Rabbeinu, as I mentioned the other day. And now, at the last minute, we're going to be wiped out, uh, all of us, men, women, children, uh, because uh, people were uh, hanging around and carrying on with uh, with shiksas, uh back and forth. Uh, really? That's just interesting. You're telling me if Pinchas hadn't done what he'd done, all the Kabbal Satorah, the Ten Commandments, the wanderings in the desert, the speech of Moses, you know, where he says, oh, you know, Levana, all that would have meant garnished, right? But because one time they fell for the Benos Moav, I was about to kill everybody? That is, and remember, this is not God talking rhetorically, I mean, not as far as I'm aware. I don't know of anybody who interprets this in terms of rhetoric. And so he was going to do it. Uh, let me put it this way. How did Moshe Rabbeinu feel? Because <laughs> we all know the story. Moshe was like a, at a loss. Right? He was so shocked at the chutzpah. It was never been solo when he said, you know, uh, you married a Midianite, I can do it too. Everybody knows that story. Moshe was so so shocked that he, he lost it. Uh, he wasn't Moses at that moment. Uh, it may even be, it's not clear to me exactly, that Moshe Rabbeinu, who's the one who got it from God, uh, was so emotionally uh, shocked that he himself forgot the Torah because the, you know and I know the story, Rashi says it, it's in the Chazal, the Gemara. Uh, that says, Vayar Pinchas ben Alosa ben Akoin, Vayikach Romach biyado, Roa Maise ben Vayar means, he remembered the din, Amr lo lemosha, Mekoblani mimcha habola rambas kanayim pogbo, you yourself, Moshe, told me, it was Allah HaMoshe Misina. So this is weird. You understand how this works? In the Talmud, they're very rabbinic, obviously. It's rabbinic literature. And rabbis, as I said before, are jurists. And jurists are always focused on due process and things like that, because that's their world. And the Torah, from the point of view of the Talmud, is primarily a legal thing. From the point of view of the philosophers and the Kabbalim, it may be something else. But from the point of view of the guys that you find in the Gemara, in the guys that they find them in the Gemara, not, let's say, for example, in the Zohar, but in the Bible, Yishalmi, and so on and so forth, is legalistic most of the time. <laughs> legalistic. So here you have a rule. The Jewish religion is very hyper, as we all know, on um, due process, particularly with Chayavisa cases. So you can't, we all know this. You can't convict somebody like that. To aid him, Hasra, and blah, 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 the Gansa business. Okay? None of this was present in the case of Pinchas. He was a zealot. He simply took the law in his own hands. And in spite of what I just said, God says that he did a good job. He actually saved you guys. So how can that be? Must be, in the thinking of Chazal, must be that actually Pinchas did not act outside the law. If he acted outside the law, 
it'd be deeply problematic for the, in my opinion, for the rabbinical mind. Because how can it be the laws are God-given and God's laws must be perfect and here's a guy who didn't act within the law and he ends up doing something that God wanted. It doesn't compute. Unless you tie them, the Pinchas acted within the law. and But where is it? You know, the whole parsha is a little strange. What I mean, from a legalistic pers- perspective, from a halachic legalistic perspective, tell me exactly what sin, what law Zimri violated. When he did it with Cosby or was about to, what exactly din did he violate? Right? Because it doesn't say anywhere in, in, in my reading, in Shmos and Vayikra and Bamidbar, thou shalt not uh, do this or that, the other with a shiksa. Am I wrong? I mean, am I forgetting something? offhand I'm sitting here I can't think of it so if Zimri had a lawyer so to speak so to speak right if Zimri had a lawyer the the, the, the lawyer would say I guess show me exactly what he's doing wrong that you can convict him you may disapprove you may say he's not doing something right he's violating his position as a Nazi blah 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 say all the rhetoric you want but at the end of the day the lawyer wants <laughs> wants to walk out of the court without a conviction so what did he do wrong now uh you hear what I'm saying? So from Talmudic perspective, it's always a problem. Unless you say, you're kind of forced to say, that even though there's no law written that he violated, because we search through the Chumash and we don't find it, but it was a law anyway. I guess he kind of like worked backwards maybe, reasoned backwards. If they killed him and God said it was right, it must be that he violated the law. But there is no law. Yes, there is. How can you have a law that's not written in the Torah? Sure you can. It's called Allah HaMoshim Yisina. Which is defined precisely as a halacha that was pronounced as not in the Chumash. And so, right? So, Ra'am Maisa Veniskra halacha, Pinchas, according to this account, knew the halacha should be seen because Pinchas, remember how it works? The Rambam talks about this in the beginning of the, um, what do you call it, the intro to the Mishnah Torah, and it's from a Gemara in Erevin, I believe. Moshe got it, then Moshe taught it once to Aram, and then he taught it, uh, what, to Nadav and Aviyah, and all so on and so forth, you know. And so Pinchas was uh, a prime student of Moshe Rabbeinu, and uh, fine, and he was a good student. And so now we have something very funny. Moshe Rabbeinu himself, who's the source of Halacha Moshe Misenai, forgot it, or didn't remember it, or maybe because of emotional reasons, d- d- didn't remember it. We don't say that Moshe Rabbeinu, this is just interesting what I'm saying. We do not say that Moshe Rabbeinu had the most awesome memory that ever lived, and even though God himself, I don't know why this is, by the way, because from a Maimonidean perspective, from a strictly theological perspective, there should be perfection, you know, from a theological perspective. And it should be that a guy like Moshe Rabbeinu, once he got divine spirit, especially such a high madrega, so anytime God told him something, it remained there forever like you and I wouldn't forget something. So we say today, steel trap memory. Phil Nagon, Avadi Yosef. I mean, if they did it, Moshe Rabbeinu certainly had. And yet we all know that um, when it came to none of an avil, you know, Aaron uh, told him thing, and Moshe said, oh, Nisker, uh, you know, Hodevila uh, Bosh. And Moshe was not ashamed to say, Attack, I forgot. You know, with the, with the, with the bodies and everything of Nona and Mio. There are such cases. So here's one. And uh, when Zimri did it with Cosby or, or was, was, was bringing her forth to do it, it should have been that Moshe right there on the spot should have shot him. Because Habola Ramas Kana and Pogabob. So right down in there, Moshe should have killed him. But he didn't. So Moshe was a loss as a breakdown of the leadership. Uh, that is why 
I remember the Medish Rabbah says this in Bamidbar somewhere, uh, probably in these parshas. That's why Moshe is condemned to be buried across the street from the church of Peor. Why does I have to tell you that detail? The Moshe is buried mul base poor, opposite poor, like across the street or something like that from poor. I mean, you're not even supposed to say, you know, in 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 from Judaism, you don't even say I live near a church, correct? Right? Am I right? I don't, I live a block away from the church. Not to use it as a point of reference. And here, Moshe Rabbeinu, the greatest person, and by the way, Christianity's not necessarily a vodazara. Balpor is unquestionably, and so by equus about guy mul base poor, it's weird. Right, unless they say that this is because Moshe Rabbeinu uh, had a failure of leadership, that's what the Mender says, and consequently, you know, uh, this is a black mark held against him. It's a little bit like a Kaddish Saira. I would have pity on the back of poor Moses myself, like uh, Shadal said the other day with the sin of the rock or whatever it was. We don't know, but be that as it may, so the person who said the din forgot it. The student remembered it. And therefore, Kahma Koblani, how's it go? What does Rashi say? Well, let me pull out Rashi here. Raw Maisa Beniska, Lacham Rala Moshe, but Koblani and Chal, you taught me. Habola Ramas Kana in Pogambo. And then Moshe, oh, you're right. Carrying a Dagartel, Havi Pravaka, then you be the one who executes what you taught. No, if you know that din, then kill him. And he did. So it's a strange business. Uh, obviously, as I said before, um, they must have seen the uh, the bee itself with the Benoist Mavis as like a supreme business, a supreme evil. Uh, that simply, in my mind, that simply reflects a fact, which is one day of taking it, one way of taking down the Jews is the Hitler way. A second day of, way of taking down the Jews is to draw people through ideology. Okay? Like I said before, you have a from kid, I'm just making this up. Go to college and then becomes not, you know, loses his face that way. That's another way. And the third way has nothing to do with religion. And it's nothing to do with violence. Boy meets girl, boy chases after girl. Next thing you know, the boy's left Judaism because now he's in with the girl. Or vice versa. The girl meets boy, the same thing could happen. Uh, this Parsha is telling you uh, that uh, this is considered very heavy. Uh, matter of fact, if I wanted to be. I don't know if Maimonidean is the right word, but I'll use that word. You know what I mean? I'm using it in a colloquial fashion. If I wanted to be Maimonidean, or a very modern, uh, this would be a good speech for a modern synagogue, for Lohilisis B'nai Yisrael, it's not even that God would punish them. It, it would happen on its own. Right? Notice, if they will go after B'nai Yisrael, and all the other Jews will do the same thing, which is what was going to happen until it stopped, uh, imagine if he didn't kill Zimri bin Sol. And he got away with it. Then everybody else would do it. Next thing you know, the Jewish people are gone. Because they all joined Moab or whatever. So, is almost like an objective sociological fact. If you don't step in to intervene in this situation, the Bnei Yisrael will be mechaleb, mechulah, whatever the ter uh, grammatical term is. And we see it today. We live in America like that. The silent holocaust that they talk about and the Pew Report and all the sociology things. It's like a it's like beating the drum all the time. The same story is nothing other than what I just said. Everybody's intermarrying right and left. And uh, the Jewish partner is not making the non-Jewish partner Jewish, but the other way around. Despite the lies that they say, you know, in the uh, in the PC uh, media and all that kind of stuff, 
I follow this to some degree. It's my porno. You know, you you you, you see the the uh, it's sad. It's it, it, it's it's a it's a voyeuristic. That's a better word. You see the demise and uh, of such a large number of Kali Yisrael, and it's a shame. But it's like it's it's like Velochi Yisrael begin to see. It has its own consequences. If you have an unchecked uh, uh, intermarriage, then it, it does have its own consequences. It's uh, Now, Pinchas uh, stopped that, but from here you see that the zealotry is a good thing. What do we do with that? We don't want, or typically, we don't regard zealotry as a good Now, some do, okay? But the big problem is um, the Kanoi usually cause a ton of trouble. For example, we're now in the three weeks, and if you know anything at all about the three the three weeks of the time of the Bayashani, you'll know that the Kanaim took down the base of Migdash. What happened when she was, I, say, I think I said it the other day on Sunday, what exactly happened in Shabbat Zabatam was in Bayashani? Not Bayashani, that's a separate story. I'm talking Bayashani. The answer is that the Romans began to siege Jerusalem around Pesach time, a little afterwards, Early on in ER, they were already in, um, they broke into outer walls of Jerusalem. And uh, skipping all the details, on Shabbat Shabbat Thomas, they breached the Temple Mount. Now, the Temple Mount contains the Temple on it, but the Temple Mount is not identical with the Temple. The base of Midrash itself, the building of the base of Midrash, is a building or set of buildings located on top of the Harbais. I think everybody knows that. <clears throat> so that means for three weeks, from Shabbat Shabbat Thomas to Tisha B'Av, or the Eighth of Av, uh, there was fighting like the Alamo, hand-to-hand fighting on the Temple Mount itself. Now, we know from the Gemara even, not only Josephus, in this case, Josephus and the Chazal agree uh, in a number of places. And basically, the Chazchamim certainly at that point said, surrender, this is not a good idea. There's no point fighting if you're going to lose and get wiped out. Um, Josephus says it in his way. Um, the Gemara talks about the Biryanim and Yochum and Zakai. And if you're interested, it's another source in the Office of Nassim. And they basically say the same thing. Cert, certainly, not, let me put it this way. Beishlema, if you tell me the beginning of the revolt, the Jews thought they had a chance. Let's just, I mean, it's stupid, but let's say, let's just say, like the lawyer said, you stipulate that, right? Um, by the time the Romans were besieging Jerusalem and they conquered the rest of Israel, what is the chance? Wait a minute, I'm not done. And let's say, for some crazy reason, you still hold that the, if you were a zealot, one of the Biryonim, you say we can still hold out against Jerusalem because it's a strongly fortified city. But what about when it got to the three weeks? So the Romans already took over much of the city. They've already breached the Harabais. The Roman legions are fighting on the Temple Mount. The zealots are fighting on the Temple Mount and will not surrender, even though the Romans gave them terms. Uh, how do you explain that? So you see from that, that uh, the, the, the Canos, uh, took down the uh, base of English, plain and simple. Uh, that's a bummer. Now, doesn't matter. A Kanoi has such a mentality; they don't give a darn. Okay, this is what whatever the phenomenon is. The Kanoi doesn't care. They know better than anybody else, and they they'll they'll interpret whatever evidence you give them in there. That's why I know people don't like. I talk about the vaxxers, anti-vaxxers, the Corona. It's a Kanoi. You understand? It's a crazy Kanoi. It's a Kanoi. They don't care. You know, this is what they're doing. They're not going to wear a mask. They're not going to do this. I don't, you know, we just went through a year of this. So in that case, the Kanos is not good, but Pinchas is good. So how do you work that out? Uh, there are those, there are a whole bunch of famous Lomdisha 
that's not the right word, but dialectical answers, which I believe, if I remember correctly, Nachshoni collects, uh, to say, you know, Pink was only Bishas Maisa, otherwise not. Pink was ready to, to, to risk his life, otherwise not. Pinchas, you know, knew the halacha mishmisin, otherwise not, and so on and so forth. And these are dialectical answers in which you're saying that you can be mechalik. Pinchas can do it, but to march through Jerusalem, you know, and provoke some Arab thing, I don't know, whatever the case is, I don't know, is not. No, don't don't use Pinchas as an example. To me, and uh, this is my point today, to me, um, it seems, and we were talking about this earlier this morning with the ladies, I think the chilek is as follows, especially in light of current events. There's a difference between doing something um, in defiance of authority versus defense of authority. I'll say it again. Defiance of authority versus defense of authority. Uh, the case of Pinchas was that Moshe for uh, uh, had a, a breakdown of some kind or another, a leadership breakdown, uh, and Hema Bochim, when 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 Zimri did it, Moshe started crying and things like that, uh, and it was just you know uh, it was a bad moment. So uh, it was a moment when the, when law and order can break down, because if, if nothing would have happened, then everybody would have followed Zimri ben Solo, and then it would be a, a complete catastrophe. Uh, everybody would follow him, and so what Pinchas did was to use violence. That is true, to restore authority. Okay? Notice, once he killed Zimbabwe Solo, then the idea was like this. Okay, and now when everybody else, follow what Moshe tells you. <laughs> right? I'm not going around to kill people. This was to make a shock and to stop the, 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 the Magaif in his tracks. And now listen to what Moshe tells you. So notice, Pinchas wasn't replacing authority, but was using violence, yes he was, uh, to buttress authority, to fortify to reinforce authority. Uh, this is what every civilized country in the world does. It's called martial law. You have a hurricane, you have a, a catastrophe, one or another, riots, and so on and so forth. The idea is when they, if and when they use violence, if and when they do, you know, whether or not to do so is a local call from the political leaders. But let's say they do. They're in a civilized country. They're doing it as a, as, as a, a, a one-time zakh, so that now stop violating the law, and now... We, you know, let's say they bring in the army. I'm just making this up, right? They find it necessary to bring an army in a, in, a, in, a, in a riot, crisis situation. And let's say the army shoots 10 people. You know, things like this have certainly happened in American history. But the minute the riot is over, you go back to civil authorities. They go back to regular law and order. So the purpose of the Zach was to step out of the normal uh, due process uh, uh, mold and uh, institute a martial law, which gives shoot to kill, but once you accomplish your goal of stopping, you know, situation getting out of hand, then you immediately, you know, infor- uh, stand behind a civil uh, uh, process, you know, the civil uh, a way of running a country. Uh, that's a great art of leadership, by the way. I mean, just, I don't know why, it just comes to my mind. Think of George Washington with the Whiskey Rebellion. You know, when Washington was president, they started to have a rebellion in Pennsylvania about the taxes. And they said, we're not going to listen to the federal government. And so Washington raised the whole army. He marched to Pennsylvania and said like this, you guys would break the law, I'm going to kill everybody. The minute they said, okay, we're backing off, Washington immediately left. 
He said, then we're not going to kill anybody. Anything like this. Oh, uh, the only reason we brought the army was to make sure everybody keeps the law. That's all. Right? Alexander Hamilton wanted to hang people. Washington said, no, no, no. We wanted to make sure that everybody keeps the law. That's it. So you show the, uh, the, the, the strong hand, but not for the purpose of showing the strong hand. Now, I'm going to contrast that. When you have zealots, whether in Israel or anywhere else, what they're doing is something like this. The law isn't isn't stark enough for me. Uh, I think the law is not good enough. And therefore, I want to go kill an Arab. I want to go do this. I want to do that. In America, the left-winger said, we want to burn down Chicago like last year with the Trump, with the Black Lives Matter and all this stuff. Uh, no justice, no peace. You hear these kind of slogans. They're really saying something quite interesting, and that is, in my opinion, and that is, um, here we are on the 4th of July, which is the uh, Declaration of Independence. But the Declaration of Independence was not what was Covey America, the Constitution was, if you know your American history. Important as the Declaration of Independence was, but nevertheless, Dicker thinks the Constitution. Constitution puts the primacy on the due process, on, 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 the, on the political and constitutional process. So does the Torah, by the way. Uh, so what does that mean? It's not whether you're right or wrong. You have to follow the rules. So um, a person who is a rule follower, a society's rule follower, so you have law and order and peace and quiet. You may like the results of the political process, the judicial process. You may dislike it. I may like what the Supreme Court poskin today or tomorrow. I may dislike it. But I'm acknowledging that they have the right to issue that sort of thing. And when that happens, then on the other hand, if they've passed away, I like it. You don't like it. It's the same business. You accept it. You're macabre. Uh, to use vivid language, if Trump got elected, the people don't like Trump. Okay, but he got elected. Now, there's another way. And the other way goes like this. I don't care about the system. I want to be right. And when the system is wrong, I reserve the right to break the system. Okay. This is what you're finding more and more in American politics very dangerous because it's a matter of opinion. You think this is right and it gives you the right to break the system. I think the other way is right. And you end up in a civil war and breakdown of the society. Whenever people have insisted on being right over giving priority to the process, you usually see revolutions and chaos and deaths and things like that in history. Pinchas was not that type of person. The story of Pinchas doesn't reveal him to be that type of person. Let's put it that way. Pinchas, I said before, is acting in defense of the establishment when there was, for one reason or another, a breakdown of the establishment. But the minute it was over, the minute he killed Zim Ben Solo, Pinchas stepped back and said, Moshe takes over, <laughs> right? And Moshe did take over, you know, he rallied. And uh, because it is, he knows the Spisi Shalom. Pinchas actually did something peaceful, as it were. Peaceful. Ah, I had to say peaceful, killed somebody. Killed somebody to preserve the peace. Now, when you find now, that they, whether in America or Israel or anywhere else, people say like this, I don't care what the government says. I don't like this government. The government is illegitimate or it's wrong or the rest of it. I'm going to take the law in my own hands because I hold it that way. Then you have to break down the law and order. Now, this can be an extreme form, like the people that, you know, ground kill somebody, whatever the government says. It can be an unextreme form if people say, I'm going to build the bleachers no matter what the safety regulations are, <laughs> right? You know, a Miron or the Carlin or any of these kind of stuff that we see around us. I'm going to play with the rules with the building codes. Uh, you know, because I'm right and they're wrong. Their, their rules are stupid. So you have a, 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 a mindset, a culture, which is rules don't count. Uh, Pinchas is very interesting in this regard, 
Right? Is Pinchas a guy that said rules don't count? Or is Pinchas say the rules count so much I'm willing to even shake things up to preserve the rules? To preserve the rules. Because once he killed Zimri, he said, Moshe, and now you take it back in your hands. So I think if you consider this in the light as the 4th of July, it's the three weeks and all the rest of it, the Pinchas and the question of zealotry is very interesting, but you have to think for yourself and analyze it correctly. I think what I'm saying is right. Uh, there's no question that Pinchas is not just a zealot who says, no justice, no peace. If things aren't my way, I'm going I'm to be violent. Uh, then God would not have said, he knows, let me say shalom. Uh, but rather, Pinchas comes out to be a politically conservative zealot. I don't mean politically conservative like Rush Limbaugh. I mean, politically conservative, like Aristotle, you understand? That, you know, you're, you're trying to conserve the system. Uh, in that case, then what he did was admirable, as Hashem says. Anyway, that's what I think. And with that, I bid you a good shot. For sponsorship opportunities or to support this podcast, please visit our donate page at www.support.rabbidavidkatz.com.